Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 90, recorded on January 17th, 2018. My name is PPMe, and with me, as always, is... It's uh, Popico. That's right, and this is uh, this is the Pop Team Epic episode of the podcast. Oh, I thought we were doing the Bobunemi bit. What is that? Bobunemi Mimi. Oh, the Bobunemi? Bo- Bobunemi Mimi Mimi. Wait, what's the bit we would do for it? I'm uh, Now we got to workshop the bit. Well, I would have to fly over to San Francisco and punch you in the face and ask you if you're mad. I mean, that was kind of in the books even before Pop Team Epic had aired. I owe you a few number of punches to the face. You do, in fact, owe me quite a few number of punches to the face. I think for this recording, I owe you a, a punch in the face. David honestly deserves to punch me in the face every time we record because I always screw something up. I tried to offer you, like, let's record tomorrow. And then you were all like, no, I got to go to my show and record a podcast before I go out to my show. All right. Yes. Uh, so in addition to being PP me, my name is Evan Minto and I am going to a spoon show after this. So we are on a timer here. We're like in like an Ava or I suppose like <laughs> Ultraman, the original version of that. About to run out of power within an hour. Yeah, except it wasn't cool. We like just tripped over our own right. cord and tumbled to the uh, to the ground on our ass. And uh, and who are you? I'm still Popco. <laughs> I'm feeling very Popco. <laughs> gonna, all right, all right. Well, his name is David Estrella, also known as QX20XX, and we are here to talk to you about anime, manga, and video games, as always. A couple things this uh, this episode. Obviously, winter 2018 anime season has started, and we are watching a couple shows for that. Before that, we're gonna gonna chat about some games some old games that we've been playing some games old ass games and some and some new weird game stuff coming up a lot of games today you know what's the hottest game right now david just the hottest thing that everybody's talking about is in fact a bunch of fucking pieces of cardboard (laughs) (laughs) do you see the news about this this the nintendo labo Okay, okay. First of all, cor- cardboard isn't anything new. It's true. Okay, Metal Gear did it first. That's true, and there's also there's Google Cardboard, right, which is not as good right. as the Metal Gear right. Cardboard box. Wait, do you think... No, I'm talking I'm talking about the, the goggles. Don't you remember the goggles for Metal Gear Acid on PSP? No. Wow, this is a deep cut now, isn't it? I never played Acid. A lot of our listeners were born after uh, Metal Gear Acid come out, but that was a tactical card battle RPG spinoff of Metal Gear. It was really cool. And for the sequel, they made uh, cardboard glasses that you would assemble and attach to your PSP. So you could look at the at the cards in 3D. I, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how it worked, but it was really cool. And when I bought it, I bought a used copy without the cardboard glasses. So I was very disappointed. Could you just make the cardboard glasses yourself? I don't know. There's probably like some sort of film in it to make it look like 3D or whatever. I don't know how you do it on a PSP, hmm. but yeah. Yeah, well, I never played Acid. My understanding is the PSP games are mostly not canon. So I didn't, or or they're canon, but they're not like, real canon they don't really matter i don't know about that you're playing kind of a sort of canon psp video game right now i'm playing the only real canon game which we'll get to in a second the only canon psp metal gear solid game but okay so this thing nintendo labo is a switch game game or or games bag of cardboard that they're gonna sell to kids for 70 dollars yeah and i mean okay (laughs) The premise here, I guess, is that the and, and I still don't fully have my brain wrapped around it. They have these like, you know, pieces of cardboard that you you cut out and like they're all in these predefined shapes. It's sort of like an Ikea thing where they have a bunch of instructions for how to put them together and you attach them to the switch or you attach the switch to it. So you can like pop out the joy cons and stuff and put them into different parts of it that it's designed to, you know, it has these slots for them. And the different designs will sort of have different ways of responding to that, right? So, like, the Joy-Con vibrates, it'll, it'll you know, might move the, the object in some cases. Or some of them can read little strips, like the infrared camera on the Joy-Con can read a strip of reflective tape or something like that that's on the cardboard. And so one of the crazy-looking examples they have is a cardboard piano, that you can play, and then apparently the Joy-Con will detect the keys that you're playing, and that will play music out of the main Switch body. And it's just a wacky, just a, just completely, like I've never seen anything like it. Just this weird 
semi-disposable accessory thing that you can attach to the Switch. That it also, it's like they have preset ones, but it's implied that you can you can make your own or something that people could design their own cardboard accessories that you can make. I mean, that sounds pretty cool until you get to the part that it's semi-disposable. Right. I don't know about you, but I tend to break things like out of the box. I mean, that that's a big thing. I think one of our listeners in Asla was, was talking about it on Twitter because I was like, this seems like it's really cool for kids because it's like a tactile. It's a toy and a video game. Right. And so it's also like it seems to me as someone who does not have kids as a nice way for uh, parents and kids to play these games together. That's not just multiplayer games, but is like, you know, let's let's put it together together. Yeah, that seems cool. But I, I think and as pointed out, like, well, my kids will just break everything <laughs> because they're kids. OK, yeah, I think for certain like in a certain age group, you're going to get the kids that will break it. And I never got out of that age group where I just I continuously break things as soon as I get them out of the box. But maybe there are there's a generation of kids that are just better with their hands and a little smarter than me because <laughs> they've been gaming. So they're been gaming. their hand eye coordination is better. Yeah. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse for me now. I'm like I'm aging out of like I can't play fighting games anymore. I can't play like strategic online games. I can't do anything that's like twitch reflexes anymore. Man, speaking of fighting games, I have uh, just just to mention, I played a little bit of that DBZ Fighter Z or Fighters or whatever, and it is super cool. Have you played online yet? Yeah, oh, I got owned. Oh, oh I bet. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at fighting games. <laughs> There's a bit of contention around that uh, online play for that that DBZ. Oh yeah, I mean it wasn't working for the first day, and they had to extend the beta and stuff. But it's uh, it's super cool. It's Arc System Works, the Guilty Gear people. I guess I don't really keep up with fighting game stuff. I think that's the Guilty Gear people. They're using that like visual style where it's the 3D cell shaded stuff. And uh, it looks pretty close to exactly like a Dragon Ball Z anime, but you're playing it and it's just super, it's it, like any of those anime fighters or whatever. It's really hyper and just I can I never can tell what's going on. Right? There's too much <laughs> just people juggling me up in the air and stuff. Anyway, that was completely off topic, but the DBZ Fighter Z seems cool. We're probably going to buy it. We'll probably talk about it on the show when the, the finished game comes out and not just the beta. As for Nintendo Labo, I, I don't know. I'm not a kid and I don't have kids. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to buy it, but I'm really interested to see where it goes. Actually, my favorite part about it is not the sort of technical or the like design stuff about like, oh, cool, it's cardboard and put together with the Switch. It's the, I like that they promote the idea of people decorating them and like, oh, you know, use a marker and color it <laughs> in and put stickers on it. And like, again, that seems to me like it, it brings a, a kind of play to video games that they often don't have this kind of tactile, creative, freeform thing where it, I don't know if I'm going to get semi-serious. I think what it, what it brings to it a little bit is by putting it in the real world and making it this arts and crafts thing. You're not forced to only play within like the confines of what someone has programmed. And I think that's actually pretty cool. And it's not super revolutionary because that's just what play was before video games existed. But it's kind of cool to be trying to integrate that form of, of it back into video yeah, games. Bring in bringing video games back to the people. That's right. <laughs> All right. I mentioned before, David, mentioned the Metal Gear. I'm playing Peace Walker. That's the, I think the only canon Metal Gear solid game on the, it was on the PSP. It takes place in between, I mean, if you're counting Portable Ops, I guess the timeline would be Metal Gear Solid 3, then Portable Ops, then Peace Walker, then 5, right? In terms right. of like the big yeah. boss timeline. And it's in Costa Rica, and it's him fighting like the CIA who's trying to launch a nuke using a, <laughs> you know, an AI weapon that fires nukes. And it's totally just, you know, it's, it's Metal Gear. It's also, I don't know if Portable Ops or if Metal Gear Solid 3, do they name drop the word Metal Gear or the phrase Metal Gear? I thought they mentioned it in 3. They might have. Because I, I, it's been years since I played 3, but in, in Peace Walker... Big Boss a couple times name drops Metal Gear, but as like a it's before there is an actual Metal Gear, but it's like a just the, this turn of phrase where it's like a Metal Gear connecting infantry and artillery. Because they, I mean, there was like what they weren't bipedal robots just yet. Well, there's there's a bipedal robot in Peace Walker in like the seventies. Or what are we counting as a, an official gear? Because like I think like the gear bit is like what they really 
sort of all orbit around. It's just the concept of a gear. And then finally, Metal Gear happened. The thing is, obviously, like the piece. So Peace Walker refers spoilers, I guess, for the first quarter of the game, which is about as far as I am in it. The Peace Walker refers to the robot in it, which is insane. It's like the 70s. And they're like, we've got. AI bipedal robots that can shoot nukes, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Like, the way technology progresses, <laughs> it's like, it lo- makes Metal Gear Solid look like Bronze Age or something. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it is basically a proto-Metal Gear. Yeah, Proto, but it's super advanced for what it I is. I know, I know. It's When I say proto-Metal Gear, I'm like, well, wait a second. The Metal Gear is the same thing. And that was supposed <laughs> to take place in, what, 2003 or something? It took you 30 years to just make the bipedal nuke shooting robot slightly cooler <laughs> but looking. You figured out the AI components <laughs> way before that. Anyway, it's, I mean, Peace Walker's weird. It plays like a watered down version of four because it came out not long after four. Or, or like, you know, it has some elements of three, I guess, in, in that sense. It has like the camo stuff, which was in three and four. One of the frustrating things, because they, they watered down a lot, I guess, for the PSP, but you can't crawl. You can only lie down on the ground and just stay stationary and like spin around. But you can't move while you're all the way on the ground, which is really annoying because that to me is really essential Metal Gear Solid stuff is being able to like crawl around. But this is just like not possible to program that in. I don't know. It might. It seems like it's more of like a balance thing. It's also it seems to be like designed around these really small rooms and like small chunks of the level. So I think it's maybe just a balanced thing to make it fewer variables to think about in each level and then just make it like a simpler little room that you have to get through. And the chapters are also really like the missions are really, really short, which I think is designed for like the portable play. But I'm playing it on the PS3. There's like a legacy collection that I have. So it's like a HD remastered version of it. The weird part, though that's really memorable about Peace Walker is that all the cinematics are done as these motion comics with quick time events. And they look like the artwork of uh, whatever his name is, the guy who does the art for, for Metal Gear Solid. Yoji Shinkawa. Yeah, yeah. Uh. It looks like his work. It might be him, but it's it's so jarring because <laughs> I think we might have talked about this off pod at some point by contrasting this like the 3d models of the characters and the shinkawa-esque art it just kind of reiterates how little the actual character models look like shinkawa's art <laughs> in Metal Gear solid games <laughs> like his art is so cool and you play the game and they're cool looking in the game but they don't really look like those really cool pieces of art that he they put in like the manual and stuff yeah it's like they've never really like tried to bring it together because this art is very it, it's a style that i don't think anybody would really know how to accurately depict as a polygonal character yeah yeah because it's very kind of expressionistic it's like fluid yeah. and wispy right. and it's just like it's all these things that would be nightmarish for somebody to adapt into a 3d model I remember, I remember owning the. Uh, I still probably still have it. I had the guide for Metal Gear Solid, like the original, and I remember like just seeing these character arts, and I'm like, I'm like seven years old at this point, so like character art to me looks like I don't know, like Pokemon. And then I go to like Metal Gear Solid, and I'm like, whoa, people are drawing stuff like this. Yeah. Even like as seven years old, I understood that that was really. And then cool. you play the game, and Ocelot has like two pixels for his eyes. <laughs> like no, yeah, like no face, no mouth, a blurry line. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like I don't know. I, I guess as a fully developed adult, I appreciate both art forms. But yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the charm of Metal Gear Solid is largely because it has those lo-fi models, but the just amped up voice acting. And, and like the, the character uh, yes. acting, but but with just these characters who have probably like twelve polygons total. Yeah, at the at the time, it was the most advanced puppet show on earth. Right, right. Anyway, I like. I mean, I like Peace Walker. I'm basically playing it to because I'm pulling an Evan Minta. I got to play Peace Walker so that I can play. What's the first one? Ground Zeroes, so that I can play Phantom Pain. And then once, uh, Ground Zeroes is like twenty minutes yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. Don't even worry. Once I played yeah. Phantom Pain. Then my knowledge of the Kojima canon will be good enough that I can play Death Stranding, even though they're unrelated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that you actually like finish by the time Death Stranding I comes will out. not. That's part of the pulling in Evan Minto. <laughs> You've got a decent buffer, I think. I think it's possible. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you have like a 60, 60% chance of success right here. That's right. 
So speaking about dead Konami franchises, I'm playing Castlevania. <laughs> good. <laughs> Symphony of the Night. That was a very good segue. <laughs> you know, I've never played a Castlevania game in my whole life. You know, part of the reason why I wanted to fly out to punch you in the face, go all the way to San Francisco, is that you hadn't even played a 2D Metroid. Oh, yeah, that's true. Until, like, very, very well, recently. Well, I picked the one that everybody loves and remembers to play. Uh, just Metroid, the first one. Yeah, that's a cool game. But what's cooler than that is Symphony of the Night. Oh, man, Symphony of the Night. That That's like a steak dinner and a chocolate cake of a game. That's like, you know, chugging down the whole bottle of red wine by yourself at the table. So and just enjoying yourself. Obviously, I know about this game because it's a lot of people's like one of their favorite games ever. Like what what makes it better than the other Castlevania game? It's got it got a significant boost moving over to uh, CD based media. Like you get like you like play the earlier Castlevanias and they're like they're in this sort of different style of game before they kind of really figured out how like the movement should be and the exploration and just kind of like the right way to string people along and like press their buttons to just get through the castle. It's like Castlevania was like originally level based, I think. You like conquered certain segments of the castle and then there's like a little map and you'd like move around and like show you like how close you were to Dracula. It's like Mario, but with vampires. Well, yeah, well, like Symphony of the Night, while there's like there's a few paths that are better than others you're kind of free to like just explore on your own so it's not i wouldn't say like it's an open-ended sort of game because you kind of you're gonna end up going through the same routes anyway because you get blocked off because you didn't have a certain power or whatever or it's just like enemies were too strong so you just kind of backtrack and go somewhere else but symphony of the night really the castle itself that's i think that's the centerpiece the design for the castle, the secrets and everything, the art design, the music, it's it's a it's an audio visual mm. masterpiece is what it is. And it's 2D and it came out in an era when 2D was super lame and everything had to be edgy and 3D mm. and like really in your face. Wait, what console was it on originally? PlayStation and Saturn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like the Saturn version is over a hundred dollars, so of course I'm not gonna play that. One. Yeah, and the PlayStation version is climbing up in price, but it's a PS1 classic now, so you can just like grab it for like five bucks whenever. Yeah, I should probably play that. Yeah, man, Symphony of the Night also has like the worst voice acting in in the history of games. Now, there's probably been worse, but it's like it's got like some legendarily bad exchanges with the voice actors. Because I think the, the voices were recorded in like a month or something. Probably not even, like just record in a week. Because it came out and I think there's some stuff that like, there's like 3D effects and voice acting, which I think was more pressure from Sony to like put that stuff in. Oh, because they could fit it on the disc or whatever? You got like 3D models of Dracula's castle and it's like, it's a single color. Oh, it's in, that. that's in the game? No, it's a cinematic that they show you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> There's a cinematic of like the camera pulling back on the castle, and it's like, wow, that's that's a very gray default blin that you've put over your castle. Did they even have things that weren't blin at that point? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's uh, been so long, I, I actually can't remember the name of the other really common one. Fong. <laughs> Fong, that's what it is. Blin and Fong. Does anybody listening actually know what that is? <laughs> We're, we're oh, we talking about on, like we keep on talking about like 3D art, but we never really advanced past like the this default student stage where it's like that's right everything's a single shade. Yeah, Blin and Fong are two different materials that are common in in 3D modeling. For those of you <laughs> unfamiliar with the terminology, <laughs> stuff we would use a lot in like Maya in school. <laughs> Man, I tried to cancel the podcast so that I could play more of this game. <laughs> I haven't really done that's that. That's the in a ultimate any gamers thing is canceling the podcast so you can just play a game that's better than being on the podcast. I didn't even do that for Breath of the Wild. So we gotta talk about this anime. This anime shit that's on there's a bunch of anime. Yeah, like, you know, in, in the words of uh, Game of Thrones, winner winner came. Did they actually say I didn't watch the show? They say winner What? Do they say winner has come or winner came? <laughs> that second one is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually some good anime this season. There's like, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, uh, we talked about a bunch of it last episode and kind of looking forward to things. But we actually, we left out two important shows. <laughs> we left out like the two biggest shows. Yeah, the two most important ones. I'm talking, of course, 
about the show that everybody's talking about. Just not, you know, all the fan art everywhere. That's right. It's Guda Guda Men's Party. Yeah, man. I started watching that today. Most important show of the season. I like, I tried to cram that in before you, before we got on the call and uh, they brought back the dubbing lake. Yeah, they did. And now it's like a dubbing staff or whatever. It's a magic staff. It's, yeah. They just talk into a ball and it's like, oh, okay. Oh, wait, it's dubbing yep, lake. Yep. And I was like, oh, I had this moment. And I was like, I wasn't sure if, if Gouda was back until the dubbing lake came on. So <laughs> for those of you unfamiliar with it uh gouda gouda now we can call it the gouda gouda franchise which is wild (laughs) (laughs) the gouda gouda franchise is uh, a series of uh of anime that's about poorly animated like kind of chibi cg animated characters sitting around and having inane conversations (laughs) and also doing improv comedy (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty much not too different from the sort of normal things that our listeners watch anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very AGP core. David and I are, are big fans. I think you were, were you the one who introduced me to it? I, th- I think so. Yeah, it was like there was like a time when like everybody that was like the original Gouda Gouda fan had like gravitated towards it. And then like it just. I wouldn't say spread like wildfire, but the the people people that are in the know, you know, it's just it very quickly ramped up. Yeah, and uh, it's it's also it's one of those <laughs> part of the charm of these shows is it, it's it's kind of like take you in that it's like really lo-fi, nobody watches it, but for some reason, and I worked there for over three years, and I still don't know why Crunchyroll still just licenses these shows. <laughs> these like. Bottom of the barrel shows. And they, I mean, they license the other. They license the other projects. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they they've licensed all of these these shows from this. There's like a whole group of these creators in like the Gouda Gouda yeah. orbit who make these mm-hmm. shows that they range from being really good, like Gouda Gouda Fairies, to being just just really bad. Just like very, they're not well, funny it's, at all. It's not. And they're really it's not that they're poorly just animated. not funny. It's just that it's 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 that the joke is just too high level for <laughs> That's some true. people. Like we'll acknowledge, we'll acknowledge that it, it requires a very high power level. That's actually yeah. I'll, I'll say the, the ones that I find not funny. It's probably that I am not smart enough to understand the extremely high level <laughs> comedy. Like uh, what was it? Forest Fairy Five was just completely unfunny. But that's only because I don't have a good enough sense of humor. <laughs> The, the one that's really good, that even, like, Dave Cabrera, creator of Kawaii Kochans, doesn't like it. And he's, like, extremely Gouda Gouda core. But I, and I originally didn't like it, but I came back to it. Naria Girls is very good. At least what I watched of it. I haven't finished it yet. And it's from one of the, one of the, like, co-creators of Gouda Gouda Fairies. And it's even more improv comedy than Gouda Gouda Fairies has. Yeah. It's entirely centered around improv. Yeah, I think Evan, you're a little bit deeper into the Gudaverse than I am. I like the one that I had watched was the, the Sega Hard Girls. Right. I actually never finished that. I didn't think it was as funny, but that's also again my Sega power it's, level wasn't high enough less, to appreciate it. It's less scripted. The Sonic episode is the worst one, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty solid. There was like two Sonic episodes. What am I talking about? It was like that one was really bad. Otherwise, I think that's the that's the point where you want to break in. If you can if you can get some of the jokes of Sega Hard uh, Hard Girls, then you could probably get into like Gouda Gouda Fairies one and two, and then from then on, like the other projects, there's like those are very special. Yeah, Naria Girls is high level. You gotta. I mean, I even wasn't prepared for Naria Girls the first time I watched it. <laughs> That's a show that is these magical girls, and there's like a flimsy, you know, generic magical girl premise around it, and then basically like they'll throw a premise for the episode at them at the voice actors and then mocap them as they vamp on the, the subject of whatever's going on and make jokes. And the mocap is intentionally not cleaned up so that their arms and legs will like clip through their skirt and stuff while they're swaying back and forth. And it's like intensely uncomfortable to look at. They don't adjust the camera. So the characters will just like be swaying on their feet and will go off camera for two seconds while they're talking and come back. Wow. Hey, honestly, this sounds like the precursor to the uh, virtual YouTuber phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot like that. And I think it's made in, a lot of this stuff is made in Miku Miku Dance, which is part of the fun of it, the, the Miku dancing application. A lot of that stuff's like just connect. Right? Oh, it might be. Yeah, like that might be how they do the mocha. They just have, they just have like, they just have like <laughs> third party software. These connects are just hooked up and then they track the, the movements, but they're so, 
There's a reason why they don't make more connects. You know, the, the other thing they do in this show that I love is that they structure it like very explicitly as improv comedy and you only realize it maybe like an episode or two in. But there's this, there's like a formula where the villain monster will be like, I'm going to cast a spell on them. And it's usually like some kind of illusion and it's like, they're going to think that they are uh, a, uh, a used car salesman uh, a girl with big boobs and uh, her lecherous boyfriend. And then they cast the spell. And then the three voice actresses have to act out the improv sketch with the three characters. And then the, the, the formula is just they do that for a little bit. And then they have to defeat the, the monster. And they do it by their familiar yells out, all right, transform. While you transform, tell me your uh, bitterest summer memory. And then each of the three girls has to come up with <laughs> they have to improv a line while they're transforming, like within the time period. So it's just it's improv comedy, but with this like lo-fi animation. And that is the main Man, charm of Guda Guda yeah. Fairies, too. That's like Yeah. That was that was its biggest success, I think, is just that the after like three or four episodes, the uh the voice actors. Oh yeah, they, they really... got really good at it. In Guda Guda Fairies, the the improv frame is the dubbing lake scenes, which is only part of it. And I think there might be a bit of improv in the other parts, but they seem more scripted. The other parts are just like really surreal comedy that uses these like pre-made <laughs> 3D models that the animators throw in. And then for dubbing lake. They have like a it's like a magical lake that shows them images from other worlds, but it doesn't have audio. And so the images are just things the animators think of. They come up with these nonsensical scenes, which is like, all right, we'll take like a kind of open source gorilla 3D model and just like a dude in a suit and we'll, you know, make some scene. And then the actresses see it for the first time and have to come up with lines like they have to dub over the scene. And it's, it's just improv comedy and the... You, they break character. That's part of the fun of it. Is they're they're kind of half as their character, half as the actor, and they'll reference other shows they've been in, or they'll like start laughing and like be you know they they'll sort of like screw up and not be able to finish talking. At that point, like the character isn't even like tracking their mouths anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they they recreated that for Guda Guda Men's Party, which is the new gender swapped version about a gamer. It's very anti gamers. It's about a gamer who gets sucked into a game. And then he and these other two boys gotta gotta run around to try to save the princess, who's also phenomenal. She takes Instagram photos of herself in the jail cell. I don't think I saw that part yet. Oh, that's in episode two. I'm spoiling you. Oops. That's her whole thing. Is she says like I'm in a. She's like, oh boy, I got all this time on my hands. I'll start a blog. I'll take cute photos. <laughs> yeah, that's a very millennial sort of thing to do, I guess. We should probably do a whole show about Guda Guda. So maybe maybe we'll save that. Gudacast. Or we could do a, you know what? I'm not even joking. We should get a guest on who's who's also brain damaged enough to be obsessed with the Guda Gudaverse. And we should talk about the whole thing, like all the stuff that these people have made. That's uh, that's the most exciting offer that I've received in quite a while for a podcast. Yeah, that'd be good. All right. So anyway, we've been watching that. We've also been watching... There's a couple other lesser shows. Yeah, some, some other shows. Well... We'll uh, transition into the closest thing to Guda Guda Men's Party, which is Pop Team Epic, David's favorite. Oh, oh man. Oh, th- this is the adaptation I wanted. This is the adaptation I think any, any, any like source media could want for their thing. Any, any manga, any video game, any, any like just weird, like, I don't know. Anything could want an adaptation that's on the level of Pop Team Epic. I think they really just realized it to its core. I like it a lot. It's a sketch comedy, which is awesome. Like, you don't see enough anime that is basically a sketch comedy. <laughs> it's like an experimental sketch yeah. comedy that just yeah. goes beyond the boundaries of of what was that original four-panel manga. We, we had talked before about how we were, you know, I was excited about Kamikaze Doga producing, and I was like, how are they going to, it's going to be like 24 minutes, how are they going to pull that off? They're this 3D studio that mostly does small snippets of animation as like a subcontractor for other studios, and it's really, production-wise, it's fascinating. Like, I might write an article about it, because they have basically just subcontracted to, there's like six different studios working on it or something, and like, they all just switch on and off on different sketches, which is really fascinating. Like, I don't think I've ever seen an anime do that. And they all have totally different styles to them. So there's Kamikaze does their 3D style. This is like, you know, cell shaded 3D, which doesn't really look much like the JoJo's openings that they did. But it has that. They're very good at the cell shaded CG thing. 
And then there's Space Cat Company, which is like the little boutique studio of the director. And it might just be him and like a couple of his (laughs) friends. And they do these kind of slightly cutesier looking, not very anime looking 2D animated sequences. And there's Acebu or whatever, which is an award-winning animation studio like it's like the, these two guys and i think whoever else is helping them that, that has like won some awards and stuff and they've done like serious animation work that's been submitted for like you know legit stuff and those guys are making the parts that are like just really incredibly poorly drawn very badly animated oh god this <laughs> Disgustingly designed. Disgusting. Just, <laughs> just, just oh complete God. shit. And it's, it, I love that it's the, it's the most accomplished animators in the entire staff are doing that. It's so, it's perfect for. It's exactly what I love. It's like, it's like Inferno Cop, right? It's you take these awesome creators and you're just like make something shitty, and they do, <laughs> and it's like the best shittiest thing ever made. Oh man, yeah. Also, it's got the whole thing where I mean, this is I don't I like this less, but it, I appreciate what they're going for. That every episode thus far, the first two episodes, is the same sketches, just two times in a row with different voice acting and minor tweaks. Okay, so it's like it's a very high level gag that like the original manga had this strip where like the uh, Popko and Pee Pee Me are like at like requesting specific voice actors. So the uh, the male voice actors that you hear, they're like they're part of the gag for that original strip. So they got them for episodes one and two, and I really hope that they just keep on showing up for the rest. And I, I just hope this is just one extended gag where they're like they're they are actually just voiced by these guys, and they're like they're super high level. They're really high level voice actors. They're, these aren't just any guys. Man, I love it. They changed the ending song too. The ending song yeah. is sung by dudes <laughs> instead of girls for like the the dude version of it, and they they change the gags between the two of them. It's just it's so this, the delivery is amazing. <sighs> and you know I, what I really appreciate I is it. that the male the male voice actors were two of the three vampires from Kizumonogatari. <laughs> so like when I watch it, I'm like, this is the Kizumonogatari of Pop Team Epic. It's made for you. It's made for me. I feel like Pop Team Epic was specifically made for me. And also, how about that opening? The opening is the, is opening. the best. It's the best opening. I love it. I mean, look, we we knew Kamikaze Doga could do a good opening, right? Like they they did those JoJo's openings. So I was actually I I was feeling like I wanted to make people angry on Twitter, so I was going to tweet, but I didn't tweet. The Pop Team Epic OP is better than the Devil Man Crybaby OP. Whoa, which it, it is. is. It is. It totally <laughs> it is. is. It totally is. That said, Devil Man Crybaby. Very good. I haven't finished it yet. Very good. I'm incredibly very busy good. Writing articles. I'm writing like okay. half dozen articles right now. Okay. Okay. As a as a career lifelong Yuasa disrespecter, I think Devilman Crybaby is pretty okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm I've come around to Yuasa. I watched Mind Game in college, and I was like, this guy. Oh, come on. This is like <laughs> it's cool animation and stuff, but it's really not a good movie. It's like just a. Uh, self-indulgent and stuff and i probably would not agree with that at, at this point if i watched it again but that was my initial impression of it ping pong especially turned me around on it where i was like oh wow this is like a just a really well-told story and uh i'm really liking Devilman crybaby i think i think i liked it because it's yuasa restrained in a way yeah he's a little restrained. just like just like stylistically because like i think his style is ass <laughs> honestly like like artist to artist, it's just I don't know, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling it. And then I see that, you know, it's just got universal praise. Right. And then like, you know, you, you see like your other favorite artists get no bump compared to Yuasa. Yeah, this is going to be like our conversation about Love Live and Idolmaster last episode, though, where you're going to be like your other favorite artist and you're going to say somebody who's not worth defending. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I think it might be is just that Yuasa isn't trying to do everything on his on his own. I don't think he always does everything on his own, though. He has a bunch of people he works with. Uh, Yeah, I feel like I see his DNA and just everything that he's done. You know, where you see like that stamp Mm -hmm. that uh, 
that Miyazaki-esque, wait, wait, let me show you how to do it sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get the sense that it's it's maybe a little more that he, I mean, it maybe results in the same kind of thing, but that he brings together people who share his sensibilities rather than forcing everybody to make stuff look like his style. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think he likes to work a lot with, I mean, somebody, some Sakuga dork is going to yell at me, but I, th- I think he likes to work with like Shinya Ohira and Shinji Hashimoto or something who are also kind of have like this wobbly, very like undulating art style. But I'm, you know, very interested in animation. I like Yuasa when he's not spending all of his time showing off. Right. I like it when that <laughs> when that animation serves to accent important scenes and stuff. And that's like ping pong does that a ton. And I feel like Devilman Crybaby does that really well. And also it's just wild that we're that it's like a modern Gona guy adaptation that people are really into. And it's also partially because I think it isn't afraid to change the Gona guy stuff and update it. Right. So often, I think we don't get adaptations of those legendary creators that are willing to just modernize, just heavily modernize and just throw out the stuff that makes them feel like an older series and just like make them feel like a modern series, but informed by all the ideas of the old. It's like what makes Pluto good, right? I think it's just easy to fuck up. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially in Japan where adapting Devilman wrong is going to make people really (laughs) angry at you. Here, it's like, what are you going to lose, right? I mean, nobody even knew who Devilman was before like <laughs> last week yeah it was uh it was really funny to me just like to see like all the all the devil man people appear out of the woodwork when this thing dropped oh yeah they've been there like they've always been there i'm like wait you were a devil man person right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i bet this will result in more go guy adaptations which is going to be wild i mean we're already yeah. getting in the u.s we're getting the uh the new Mazinger movie is, is yeah, getting I'm a going. theatrical release. I'm I, going to I, see I don't that. think I bought a ticket yet. I got to get one. I mean, we're already getting that, but I'd imagine in Japan too, maybe it'll encourage a little more ambitious adaptations of going to guy stuff. I know there's always stuff coming out because, you know, he's such an institution in Japan. I don't keep up with a lot of going to guy stuff. I haven't read a lot of his manga, but my understanding has been that a lot of them have been pretty, they haven't done like really, really heavy updates to the formula. You know what I mean? Right. So that'll be cool. I got to finish watching it. When I'm done with all these articles, I'll hunker down, finish Devilman Crybaby. Looking forward to that. We didn't really talk about what's good about it, I guess, but <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. I think, I think, we'll yeah, do an no, I think everybody it, that's listening to this is like, you know, they've all got Netflix accounts. They've all watched it. They're just waiting to hear us kind of goof up and say something bad about it. Right. But we're not, we don't got anything bad to say about it. Yeah. The only <laughs> bad thing I have to say about it is that the OP is good, but not as good as the Pop Team Epic one. All right. Okay. We got to, we got to wrap this thing up. I got a show to get to. I didn't even eat dinner yet. God damn it. We have a response from a listener. I don't usually do these, but I'm going to start doing this because sometimes, you know, sometimes people have a response, but not a question. And I think it's, it's nice to read. So. Uh, we, we talked about Kyoto Animation last episode. We did. <laughs> and uh, David hated on them. I was trying to be the good cop, trying to be, you know, a little nicer about Kyoto Animation. So, at sign and Nazzle, loyal listener, says, I think I'm your worst listener. Uh, I like Kyoto Annie, and I'm being alienated by you all. It's y'all. Or y'all. I'm a gluten for punishment. Gluten. I know you meant glutton, but... But it is it is really funny to be a gluten for punishment, like you're just a big loaf of bread. <laughs> I guess that's why I still listen and post questions to every show. We appreciate you listening, Inazel. Look, also, I mean, Kyoto Animation, whatever. I'm, I'm mellower now. It's fine. It, hey, whatever. Man. Not my hey, thing. Hey, man, I've got a whole thing about Kyoto Animation. I've been very close to their building, and I was very close to defacing it, so... Do not... Don't... <laughs> don't, uh, don't... Don't push me. I will say... Part of maybe the thing that that is is for me it's maybe it's like not it's not the band I hate <laughs> fans like Kyoto Animation whatever I mean they make some stuff that's like questionable to me in terms of it's like weird focus on sex doll looking high school girls but I don't think everything they make is irredeemable or anything I think there's there's you know a lot of talent there but man the defense force for that studio online <laughs> that that's the man. thing that's like there's just People and it's not like other studios don't have this, but man, people are just always chomping at the bit to go to bat for Kyoto Animation against anybody who might have the the tiniest slight against it. Well, we got some questions. Let's run through these questions. before I gotta go. At sign forever, Sleepy B asks, which one is anime of the year? Pop Team Epic or Guda Guda Men's Party? If I'm being serious, of course, it's 
we're two weeks into January. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that said, uh, it's probably Pop Team Epic. Yeah. I think I think Gouda Gouda is going to be funnier for me, like, as it goes. Both of them are not, like, super consistently funny yet. But the thing is, like, Pop Team Epic is just experimental enough that I'm like, I got to give it the props here because they're trying so much weird stuff with it. It feels more fresh. And Gouda Gouda Fairies was already really fresh, but this is a sequel to Gouda Fairies. It's just yeah. more of the good stuff that we already love. Yeah, it's like, I don't think I'll be able to predict what's going to be in the next episode of Pop Team Epic from week to week. Yeah, and you can predict that in the next episode of Gouda Gouda, there will be some sort of animal dressed in <laughs> some sort of human clothing <laughs> for no reason. Somebody in their undies. That's right. Some fireballs. They better go to New Donk City in it because <laughs> everybody in New Donk City looks like they came out of Gouda Gouda Fairies. <laughs> we got a question that I'm not sure if this was for the podcast, but they just asked us a question and I What's figured, up? hey, wait, we asked people to ask questions even like <laughs> in between shows. So maybe this was actually for the podcast. So at sign Sugar Kitty Meow asks, uh, hey, Meow. Gamers. Do you ever get overwhelmed with the amount of anime available to watch? I didn't really get into anime until my last year of college, and I feel like my queue is never-ending between shows I'd like to watch and shows I feel obligated to as a otaku. Mm. First off, you ain't obligated to watch shit. You watch what mm-hmm. you want to watch. Well, no, I know where they're coming from. There's a You just put yourself in, in this room with these people that have the sort of time to watch 10 shows a season, and you feel like you're missing out on something. But I think as seasoned veterans, me and me and Evan, we can kind of tell like right away there might be one or two shows between us that are actually worth watching. Maybe every season, maybe every other season. It just it really depends on the quality of offerings you get per year. And I think in terms of being overwhelmed, I mean, you don't have to watch. Obviously, like David's saying, you don't have to watch everything. You also don't have to watch anything that's out yeah. during the season. You, you know what I mean? Like, like us. You, you can just be grumpy and completely jaded. But I know that some people aren't like that. So I don't mean I don't mean you don't have to watch I don't mean just don't watch any anime. What I mean is like <laughs> you don't need to watch like even one show every season. There's lots of old stuff. Maybe sometimes a show from two seasons ago or a show from five or ten or thirty years ago is more interesting to you than any of the shows airing right now. And in that case, like turn off Twitter for a bit, which is a hard thing to do and just yeah. watch what you want to watch and just, you know, blow through a couple episodes of something that you enjoy. And I just think like the goal of like having Q zero or something is nonsense. It'll never happen. There's too much out there. Yeah. Even like, even somebody like me who'll be like, there's no anime to watch. I'll like, I'll have a queue of old stuff. That I'm just I'm too I'm too intimidated to get through because it's like it's 50 episodes per per thing. No, but you know what the the thing about obligation really I mean that really caught my attention because even now I feel like if there's something that everybody likes I feel like I'm missing out by not watching it. Right, like but Devil Man's a good example because everybody's talking about that. What it all comes down to is just go offline for a bit. I think that's a big part long, of it. It's just don't off. try to try to separate yourself a little bit from that need to just, you know, the, the fear of missing out and like the need to be in touch with what everybody's watching right now. I don't know if I can think of, yeah, you know, just, just don't, don't think of that list as something that'll ever be whittled down to zero. Cause there's going to be new shows coming out all the time and you're not going to be able to go through your whole backlog of every old show that you've heard about. And you know what? You know what I really say, actually. Okay, I was I was trying to like I was kind of like beating around the bush and hadn't really hit on just the, the this idea in the back of my head here, which is like if you just got into anime and I don't know how old you are, right? Just just your last you said until your last year of college. Like I would I would genuinely just say like don't even pay attention to the current season right now unless there's something that really jumps out at you that you're like oh my god this Devil Man thing looks awesome like I'd love to watch that right. And just, like, what are the classic things that, not just that you're obligated to watch, but stuff that people told you about that sounds really good, that's like, a you know, some kind of classic or whatever. You hear about it from a lot of people. It's like, a lot of people really like it. Watch that. You're going to get burned out if you try to sit through all these <laughs> these shows. Watch the stuff that, that you have heard on good authority is really good and you think you're going to like. And, you know, you watch through some of that stuff and that'll, like, motivate you because you'll probably like it. And then you can then you can sort of branch out more and maybe you watch a couple shows a season if that's what you're into. 
I mean, if you just got out of college, there's like there's shows you probably haven't seen. You probably haven't seen like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. You haven't seen Lane. I mean, that's older. I think I think of things that are like within the past ten years. I mean, people should watch Lane. Lane's really good. Lane, (laughs) yeah. Code Geass. Yeah, there's there's Geass. There's. uh, I'm trying to think. Red Line. I mean, there's yeah, Red Line. uh, Bakemonogatari. Go go watch Bakemonogatari. Go. Go watch Hitamari sketch. Oh, here's the David stuff. Now we're now we're just I'm just gonna David rattle Core off stuff. like. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next question. Here we've got. Uh, I, I should have read this before. It's a Pop Team Epic question from at sign Pangin ninety five. Pop Team Epic is better than Inferno Cop. Thoughts? It's not. Sorry, it's not better than Inferno Cop. It's very good, but very few things are better than Inferno Cop. I think Inferno Cop's super good. I think. It's a. Uh, it's not my call to make just yet. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see it as it goes. But look, I mean, Infernal Cop, Infernal went, Cop went back in time and fought dinosaurs and became a god and went to hell and inspired Luluko to be her best <laughs> self. Infernal Cop's the best. He went. Look, he saved the entire state of New Jersey. That's canon. <laughs> I think he also like blew up Trump in a in one of those episodes. So like, look, Infernal Cop is just you're never gonna beat him. He's perfect. He's the perfect man. Okay, uh, no, uh, hopefully, quick one. Uh, at sign Alex C Osborne, any gamers contributor asks top three Metal Gear villains because we talked oh. about Peace Walker a little bit. Okay, so we're gonna. Okay, I know Decoy Octopus is on both of our. Decoy lists. Octopus is number one. I think I've established okay. this on the show. He went so deep undercover that he was like a method actor. He figured out how to do exactly what the DARPA chief would have done in that situation, which was to die because of Fox die. So Decoy Octopus number one. He's the best. Yeah, canonically, a Decoy Octopus is the only enemy that you cannot defeat. Yeah, he, he's it's he's so good. He defeats himself. Yeah, he self owns himself. <laughs> I want a whole game about decoy octopus. Uh, give me that decoy octopus backstory. I want Metal Gear decoy. Okay, so number one is decoy octopus. Okay, I would say, man, it's tough. There's so many. There's so many characters. I mean, I think Ocelot has got to be. I mean, it's, that's an easy answer, but he's so good, and he's, so there's so many versions of him that are good. <laughs> Psycho Mantis is also. Oh really yeah. Good. I know we're only it's just like Metal Gear Solid PS1, One, but they're all so good. Yeah, like, I think that's got to three, be the top. Three's three. got three on a technical level. Those got those are some really good boss fights. Yeah, wait, I should give some credit to the end, who also owns the end. The yeah. end owns. Yeah, the end is good. I kind of wish Kojima had actually given us the uh, hours long battle against the end. That thing was supposed to be like. Very long, much longer than however much time it took. It was like maybe an hour for me. Okay, we have a couple questions that we kind of covered. Pop Team Epic. Uh, I think we'll probably talk about Devilman more, so we're gonna save the Devilman question we got. Uh, you know, I think that's it. I think we gotta we gotta get going. That's so. it. Thanks for listening to the Annie Gamers podcast. If you would like to send us an email, you can email us at podcast at anniegamers.com. We love to answer your questions. We also take questions on Twitter. A lot of our questions, all of our questions this episode were from Twitter. You can tweet at us, at sign Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O, that's me. At sign QX20XX, that's me. And you can tweet at AnnieGamers, at sign AnnieGamers, one word, on Twitter. And uh, feel free to send questions or responses to the episode on there. You can also talk to us on Mastodon. I am Vamptvo at Mastodon.social. You forgot your at sign. There's two at it's signs. It's whatever. There's, it doesn't matter. Really, you don't need the two at signs. And Mastodon is a decentralized uh, social networking platform thing that is, you know, has a little bit of traction. I'm, I'm hoping it, it picks up more. So promote. Yeah. It. In case, in case you understand anything about what Evan mentioned, I'm two zero xx at caro And you can also uh, you can leave comments on the episodes uh, on our website. Go to anygamers.com slash podcast for show notes and more stuff. And check out Old Taku No Radio. The episodes are in our feed. That is our sister show from Inc. and Jared. Subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. 
And we would love for some more reviews. We have a little bit of stuff on iTunes and, and a tiny bit on Stitcher. We would really appreciate those. Those help people find the show. They boost us up in the rankings, gets more listeners for you to... Uh, not, we're not even not in it for the money. We don't even have. Any, we're we absolutely any in it for the. We're we're in it for the fame. Also, go to anygamers.com for articles from us. The big ones to look out for are the 2017 staff picks. That's our list of our favorite anime, manga, and video games of the past year. Uh, we had limited participation this year. I think in like manga was just me. Games yeah. are me and David. So you get a little anygamers podcast games list on there. And then anime is basically everybody. So you get a nice selection of, of good anime from this past year. And I am writing for a bunch of places at this point. I'm doing some some secret projects that will materialize soon, as well as my usual writing for Otaku USA magazine. Oh, and I forgot to mention on Anigamers, actually, the other article. I also reviewed Mary and the Witch's Flower, which is the new movie from Hiromasa Yonabashi, the ex-Ghibli director who directed... Uh, the Secret World of Arietti, but this is him working at a new studio. So it's sort of like he's doing the Ghibli thing, but outside of Ghibli, it's a pretty solid movie. Please check out the review there. The movie comes out this week, so it'll probably be out by the time this podcast is out in theaters. And I am writing barely ever, but sometimes I update it for <laughs> animeburgertime.tumblr.com, my sporadically updated anime hamburger-themed Tumblr. David? And equally as sporadic is qx20xx.tumblr.com for all the articles not fit to print on anigamers.com. That will be it for us. We are hoping to set up a show looking back on our favorite stuff of 2017, hopefully with a guest, hopefully next episode. I am saying that on the show so that I can commit to it. <laughs> we will see you then. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Peace walkers. This is going to be a no water podcast. Yeah, I didn't get any water. It's part of it's part of the meta now. Why does it take so long to find anything on the internet? Cuz the internet is filled with garbage.